welcome to another C3 Church Rockingham podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au. Why do bad things happen to good people? We've talked about this before. We've talked on stage at different places around Australia with it as well. That, And you've just shared it there that in your own assessment, you don't feel like you were right with God whilst we know that God had set up different things to make sure every one of your other friends that were in the car were actually right with God. Yeah. How does uh, that, how do you think about that today? It was probably about, I don't know, it must have been two or three weeks before the accident where we had this God moment in our school um, where, you know, the, the anointing fell and, and, you know, everyone was kind of getting slain in the spirit and, and um, I was kind of going along with it because it meant that I could have a get out of school work. Um, and so that's kind of why we were so yeah, bad. Yes, thank you, Jesus. You know, I'm laying on the floor, peeking out, making sure everyone else is laying down too. Um, <laughs> peeking out. Um, and I guess, you know, I look back now, and that was actually a pretty important time. You know, I, I kind of sit here and I, I laugh and I kind of make a joke of it, but that moment was a moment that probably, I don't know, for me, assured where my friends were going, assured their salvation. Um, and it was one for me that made me realise, like looking back now, is that, geez, I missed my opportunity, but wow. also I, I'm, I'm so lucky that God saved my life um, because I wasn't in the right place. And, and if, if someone had asked me, were you saved? My answer would have been, I don't know. And I think if your answer is, I don't know, more than likely, it's, I don't know. Pretty dangerous place to be, huh? Mm, that's right. How good is the grace of God that missed that opportunity, got you through that crazy thing, now 20 years down the track, you're sitting here telling others. Rob, a lot of people, even in this church, you've been here in years, don't know this story. They see the beautiful princess you're married to and your three beautiful daughters. Well, queen, you're married to the queen, aren't you? Queen Mrs. Wright. Is that right? Tell us your Job experience prior to that. Uh, I haven't spoken about this in years. So Sorry. Uh, 1997, I got married. I was really excited. I really, I really, I, I, I wanted the family so bad. Uh, we were blessed with a daughter in uh, March of um, 98. And then July, we were driving from one town to another to visit family. And uh, we got involved in a car accident, which I don't have much memory about. I really don't know what happened in that accident. I woke up uh, maybe after two days in a hospital only to be told, the first time I woke up, they didn't tell me the truth. They didn't tell me my, my wife had died, my daughter had died, uh, until maybe two days. But I, I sort of figured it out that something would have happened. Uh, the hardest thing is I prayed in the morning before we left. And then to wake up and find out that the, the two people that you love so dearly, that you are willing to die for, have died was very hard. I, I didn't even attend the funeral because I was in hospital myself, which from there, 
I was so broken, I was so disappointed. It led me into severe depression. <laughs> uh, couldn't understand why. why. Why would this happen after praying? I was so angry with God, I couldn't pray from there because I knew he was a good father, but I was saying, where were you? Where were you, good father? Why were you not here? But God is faithful. He knew all along. After a few months, I tried to kill myself because I couldn't handle it. I was only 23 years old. I couldn't handle the pain. I couldn't handle the disappointment. So I tried to kill myself, and um, it wasn't successful. I was taken to hospital. And just as, as they were pushing me down the corridor into the emergency department, God spoke to me so clearly and said, if I wanted you to die, do you think you would have died in that accident? I, I so remember those words until today that God is such a great, great plan for my life that I didn't see. And... Um, uh, it's so so amazing that God, God restored me and, and gave me three more daughters. And, um, but the, 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 the greatest pain was when Tanya was born, the first three months were so hard because I lost my daughter at three months. And I, I didn't know if... <sighs> I didn't know if Tanya would make three months... But God held me by the hand and he just reassured me that it is possible. And today we, we see a beautiful daughter who is um, 17 years of age. And during that time, I, I, I met the, the best friend of my life, Renee, in the hospital. Uh, she was so good the first time I was admitted, but I didn't take notice of her. Sure, sure. <laughs> that's, that's very true because I was in such pain. But the second time I was taken back to hospital, she came to visit. She wasn't working in the same department, but I remember the words that she said. She said, are you just going to sulk and die in your misery? And it... it <laughs> It took, a, it took a journey. Sorry, Pastor, I've taken so long. That's okay. It, it, it took such a journey to be restored again, to, to learn to trust that though he slays me, I will still trust him. You know, it, it, God reminded me of uh, Isaac and said, have you ever thought of the story of Isaac that he trusted his father who was going to kill him? Can you imagine the relationship after Abraham tried to kill his son? Can you, can you imagine whether the son was going to trust this old man who hears voices in his head to trust him, to lead him? But that's how faithful God is. Even when we don't know that we are going to make it, even when we don't know what he's doing, but God is still working in the same place. Incredible. Incredible. <sighs> For uh, both Roberts, you can think about maybe some keys that you've locked onto to overcome those obstacles. While we're here, Cain just talk about Cain. A lot of people would look at you today and just hear all the accolades and think, "Oh, he's got it together." But there was a time we 
you didn't have it together after experiencing a lot of ex- success in waffle premierships and all the different stuff. You hit a hole. Can you talk to people? Just give them an actual snapshot of what it was like. Yeah. So I, I guess I'll quickly go back and just touch on what I touched on this morning. And um, yeah, I guess if you looked at my highlight reel and on Instagram or things like that, you could go, oh, he's got everything going on. He's got a business and a beautiful family and everything looks all good. But yeah, I grew up in a family where my mum was addicted to heroin. Um, alcoholism was was massive in our family. Domestic violence, crime. It was just, I went from house to house everywhere. And, and um, I spent, I remember spending six months when I was about 12 or 13 in a rehabilitation centre with my mum while she got off heroin then, then just to see her go and fall back into the same same trap just when she got caught up with the same people and then I did meet my dad until I was about 14 and I held anger and resentment to him for not knowing him and I carried that for a lot of years and then I sort of felt, I thought I dealt with all of it, put it all to the side and I guess all I really did was just forget about it and I just put it away and then when I had our first son it all come rushing back and that was, like you said, after football and it was very similar timing. I'd lost, I'd th- thought, I'd lost my identity and, you know, I was a footballer and when I finished football, I'd sort of lost that. I'd had a son and I had all these emotions that sort of come. Um, and yeah, I hit depression pretty badly. I'd become suicidal and I just started to drink really heavily. And, uh, what does really heavily look like? <laughs> there wasn't too many people that actually knew it. Lana was probably one that she... Was probably the only one. Um, yeah, it, it's not something I'm very proud of, but yeah, it was I, I was drinking around probably 12 to 14 beers on a school night, and anywhere from a carton plus on a Saturday, and the same on a Sunday. So. Yeah, and that's probably being a little bit generous. A bit times. conservative. Yeah, yeah, that might be the average. Chris, these guys have all kind of just brought us up on the same page of the huge obstacles they've overcome. Um, your huge obstacle is obviously being born in Kempsey. <laughs> Kempsey's a beautiful place, Pastor. Beautiful place to drive through, wave at, to move on to the next. We're going to get back to you guys and you're going to give us one key or two out of you know, what you've done to not become victims and not stay stuck in those prisons. But... Christy, you all jokes aside, um, in terms of taking on the challenges of life and being a dad today, which many people in this congregation look up to you in what you do because of the responsibilities you carry. Uh, yeah. Young family. Yeah. Uh, it's not easy being pastor. What are some of the things you'd like to share with dads here just to tell them to keep going? You know, something that sticks out to me, I, I sort of say things to myself. Uh, one of the things that I often say is, do what you wish had been done with you. And uh, I, I don't come from extreme alcoholism or anything like that, but my childhood was spent with a father who was severely depressed most of the time. My dad was a paramedic for 38 years of his life and he would work maybe 10, 12 days straight, shift work, random hours, get called out for horrendous accidents at all hours of the night. And when he would have days off, He'd often lock himself in his room because he just, he couldn't cope. Uh, I didn't find out till years later that he'd go to accident sites and if he saw young boys in accidents, he would see my face superimposed. And 
I just honestly thought my, my dad hated me all throughout my childhood because he wasn't the type of dad who could engage with us. Uh, he was so traumatised by what he'd experienced. And I grew up with this idea that if I just did the right thing, dad would be happy with me. So I taught myself how to mow the lawn when I was like eight or nine years old and we had an acre block and taught myself how to do the ride on and the whipper snipping. And I thought if dad gets home from it for his days off and he sees that everything's done and the house is tidy, he's going to be fine and we're going to be able to engage. But nothing I did worked. And so I, I grew up with this lie that said, it's all my fault and if I just did enough, I would have made a difference. But now looking back, knowing what you know, you realise that your dad was actually wrestling with his own demons, so to speak, and yeah. it was not about you. Had nothing to do with me. But your first thought was? It was my fault. Now, your first thought, your tip that you gave us was? Oh, uh, do, do what I'd wish had been done with me. And so Great dad, dad wasn't in a state where he could give us everything that we could. But I, I look at my boy Liam, who's eight now, and my little... My daughter's three, my other son Flynn's just over one. And, and I say, well, maybe I didn't experience what I can give them, but I knew what would make a difference for me. And so I try to do that. Great. It doesn't always work, but that's what I try to do. Excellent. Very cool. Who's going to kick us off? Rob or Rob? Kane? Yeah. Um, just to go back a little bit, um, you would have thought that losing my legs in an accident, losing my friends would have woken me up to, um, I need a relationship with, with Christ. Um, he didn't. Um, unfortunately, a uh, slow learner, maybe. <laughs> um, but it was actually, I, I held a grudge against God. And it was probably two or three years down the track after kind of getting into the nightclubbing scene and, and running away from God and doing my best to hate on God. And I was intentionally sinning to make sure that he knew that how angry I was with him. Um, that... I actually caught myself in a nightclub and I actually remember having a moment with God where he's saying, are you done with this? Um, and it was like he like, took the blinders off my eyes and, and I, that whole journey along there, I knew that he loved me. I knew that he was there. I knew that he was real. Um, and that was the moment I made a heart decision to, to, to follow Christ. There in the nightclub. I had removed myself out of, I'd removed myself from all my friends. So I was very alone at that stage and put myself in a scene that wasn't very good for me. Um, I had to go get counselling and professional help to deal with what I'd been through. Um, but I had to go make things right with my friends and say sorry and, um, and also put my back, myself back in a place that actually spoke life into me. Um, and for me, that was me putting myself in a good godly church that um, encouraged me. Yeah. that uh, spoke life to me um, and helped me find vision for myself. Wow. Incredible. Um, I, I, I knew what I was doing was wrong, so I, I had to f find my why. And I got, I got really bad. And I remember going, I, my mum, she'd come and stay with us and she'd, she'd gotten to a point where she wasn't leaving the room and she was that um, addicted to alcohol and she was just basically, she would only leave to get alcohol and she tried to commit suicide and she'd come and stay with us. And I had that moment where it was like, um, I'm sure my mum thought what she, when, when she was having a few drinks it was okay. And I just saw myself, you know, 30 years down the track doing the same thing. And I, I said to myself right then, that's my why, I don't want that. I want to 
because I've seen it doesn't mean I have to pass it on. The baton doesn't need to be passed on the same. So I drew the line right then. I sat with yourself. Um, you gave me some amazing wise, wise counsel. It's pretty straight down the line. And, um, and then from that moment, I, I wanted to own it. I didn't want to try and hide it. I didn't want to try and, you know, brush it all aside. So uh, if some people might know this, but in my fridge at home, I've got the last beer I brought and it still sits in there. And I, and I sat it there because I wanted it to know that I own it and it doesn't own me anymore. So I guess my biggest advice would be find your why and then hit it front on. And um, It's incredible. It's five years, isn't it? Yeah, five years, yeah. And it still sits there. Still sits there. It's starting to rust around the top. I hope the seal doesn't go because... <laughs> Might be yeah. worth something in a few years' time. Probably not. It is to me. Anyway. I'm going to come back and ask you a question which I'd like you to just pop out the answer to because we've had this conversation a bit over the years that, you know, right now you're kind of committed to... You might drink again, but you're not going to do it until you're confident that you're in control completely You wouldn't go back there. So you're pretty much committed not to having it for the rest of your life until you're confident of that. It'd be interesting to hear where you think the line is in terms of that regular drink deal. We'll come back. For me, um, not hold on to the future is um, I told myself I'm going to love every day. Like there's no tomorrow. Uh, I remember. Did you say not hold on to the future? The past, sorry. The past. Okay. <laughs> not holding on to, to the, the past, past yeah. yeah. So um, when Tanya was born, I was um, I gave it my everything. Uh, I'll take it to work if I had a chance, because uh, I, I I knew in that moment that the thing that you're holding on to, you can just lose it in an instant, and you might never get that day that God that's gone past. So I told myself I will love like there's no tomorrow. So good, and I think that. Um, people like these guys that have been through those significant challenges, especially what Rob's been through, you do find a much greater value in the simple things every day. Bob's, some more thoughts? Because you just yeah. really told us that you were wild again. Yeah, pretty much. Which <laughs> I, I love that vulnerability and honesty mm. because I think there's many of us that could say we went in the same zone. Mm. What have you done not to become a victim in this life? Not to be, become a victim. Um, I don't know, it's, it's hard to answer that because oh, I guess after I'd come back to Christ, I've, I've never, I don't even now, I don't look at myself as a victim. I, I, I feel like it took me a while there to get to the stage where I, I, I felt lucky to be alive. I felt so unlucky to be alive for the first probably, I don't know, I'll be honest, probably almost 10 years. Um, and live with that. Really? Ten years? I'd say that. It was hidden hidden in there, hidden underneath, where um, I, I remember saying to Kama a couple of times, oh, I wish I could have exchanged my life with one of the boys. Um, and, and, you know, when you speak those words out of your mouth, like it's something that comes from somewhere pretty deep. Um, and you have to deal with that. Um, and so I think having, having my kids... Uh, and having Elba really changed everything for me. Um, it really made me realise that how lucky I am to be here, um, that I'm so lucky and so blessed to have a, a good wife and, 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 and two beautiful kids um, and that life is worth living and life is worth living well and, and 
enjoying and, and living every I opportunity. So. I love that. Life is worth living well. Very cool. Chris, what do you think uh, – you, what would you say is the biggest danger for your family when it comes to remaining committed to Christ into the future? The biggest danger for our family – Lots of little things come to mind, but I, I guess the big thing that we've always tried to maintain is that the kids are along for the ride with us. We're, we're all on adventure together. And, and making sure that the kids understand that it's not just mum and dad going off and doing their own thing following Jesus, that we as a family follow Jesus. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm coming in today, I've pulled my back. Uh, Liam's about to jump in the shower and Rhiannon says to him, why don't you pray for your dad? And he gets out of the shower and he lays hands on my back and he prayed the most honest, faith-filled prayer. And just loving on me. And that's, that's him. That's, that's no provocation. That is him coming out of him. But we've always had this idea that as a family, we're on the adventure together. And wherever God leads us, we go. Great. Very cool. How'd you go, Kane? I forgot the question. <laughs> Forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> culture, culture is a pretty strong influence on all of us, and we try and establish strong culture within the church. But we interface in the marketplace, socially, in sporting arenas. That culture comes upon us. If you were to head back to the place where you thought, "I'm good now, I can go back and enjoy a social drink," what do you think that would look like? Um, I've always said, and touching back to where you said, I've always said I will drink again one day because I, I think if I say I'll never drink again and I drink again, my word means nothing. So I've always said that I, you know, there's a possibility I will. will I, whether I will or I won't, I don't know. Um, there's the, the... I know now I could go and drink and I could have one or two and stop. I know that. Um, but I still have that burning um, desire sometimes to get drunk. And it's until that ever is completely gone, I'll never go back there because... If the temptation's there in the wrong crowd and the wrong situation, I could easily, well, not easily, but I could think I could fall back there. So until that is 100% gone, I'll, I'll never go back there. But when you're saying about culture, if I fast forward back, rewind back to when I first started drinking, I never learned how to socially drink. I, I played football at a semi-professional level. We were allowed to drink once a week and... You went out, you got drunk and you got obliviated. You got up on Sunday morning, you went back to training and it just all started again. And then, so I never learned how to socially drink and that was a culture thing. And it was, it was a culture issue that I guess needs to be looked at from a father's point of view if your children are in that, to teach them, you know, that, that to not drink, to get, to get blind and obliviated. Like that was all I knew. And then when I stopped playing football and I didn't have to answer to somebody... And I was like, oh, I can drink. And I just got, I drank, I drank to get drunk. I didn't drink to have a social wine and say, you know, we're having a nice dinner or anything like that. I drank because I wanted to get drunk. And so, Great. Yeah. Rob, tell us more about the journey. Um, you're kind of 21 years the other side now. Got a beautiful family, three daughters, business, beautiful wife. What are you doing today that you still think is the influence of coming through that terrible tragedy that, you know, God has really turned the tragedy into a triumph. But I'm interested to hear about the limp 
that you still walk with as a result of it? Yeah. Um, In the no, positive sense, you know, we've heard how you value each day. and Yeah. Um, I think, I don't think I still have a limp anymore because uh, over the years I think I've, um, I've healed most probably because I, I, she really loves me. And she makes Aww. sure I don't go back to, you know. And we have, we have talked quite a bit about, uh, because before I didn't want to talk about it. But she would even now and then want to ask me, what do you think? How do you feel? You know, do you still think about it? Yes, I do. Uh, when we go back home, we go and visit the, the, the gravesite. And uh, <clears throat> I've taken the kids to see. And but what what gives me strength is the fact that everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for God. God doesn't make any mistake. We may question. I I still ask sometimes when it comes. Say, but why? And, and the worst thing is I don't remember what happened. I've tried to go back to the accident scene to try and replay it, but it doesn't ever come back to me. I don't know what happened until today. And at first I was disappointed that I didn't know, but looking at it, God is protecting me from mm. things that could go wrong. And, and after that accident, I didn't really go back to where I was as a Christian. I struggled for a while. I struggled maybe for two years before I went back to being a, a, a true follower again, because I knew about God. I knew everything. I still spoke in tongues, but I didn't have a relationship. My relationship was why? Why did you do this? I was angry with God. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, now I just bless God for it because he knew exactly what he was doing. Awesome. Give us some final thoughts, guys, around fathering, being a husband, the expectations, the pressures that come on us. Give us some thoughts about doing it well. Overcoming challenges. You're up. You're up. Listen, I'll jump at once and <laughs> yeah, doing it well. Gosh, I, I think just recognizing that it's a journey, that it's okay not to get it right. Um, that I think fathering takes editing on the job. And editing. Uh, editing. Yeah. Because I think, I, I look at the different stages that my kids are in right now and I, I think, boy, the things that I used to do don't work. And, and you've got to constantly be willing to edit to find out what will work. Because at the end of the day, it's not really my will be done. It's I want to activate them. I want to activate them into their God-given destiny. Right. And I want to see them run rings around me. And so I, I've got to edit what I'm doing so I'm putting them in the best position possible to be activated. And uh, I think that's a challenge because I, I get comfortable. like that. I think the biggest thing, as I said, I didn't have a father figure and, and that sort of sat a big void in me. And then one of the greatest issues that I had with, with when I first became a father was not knowing or thinking I could become one. And now that I've overcome all of those things and I've, you know, I've, sat and realised that I've got a heavenly father and no matter what I do, if I do it with that, I do it with love and passion, that they'll see that in me. And if I give them 
with consistency, just always doing the right thing, even when no one's watching. That's they're a sponge. They become what you are yep. and what they see. So if you're all like my my biggest thing, I just try to do the right thing all the time. Show them hard work. Show them discipline. Show them the thing, love, and the things that they need to do. Keep them in the church, and I'm pretty sure if I keep doing that, they'll end up with kids. Love it. You know, um, transparency is a pretty powerful thing, but it's one thing that's more powerful than transparency. I mean, these guys have been transparent in telling their stories that are back then, but Cain went to a very vulnerable spot just a few moments ago where he said that from time to time there's still this desire to get drunk. Transparency is easy. You kind of just be honest about what happened in the past, but vulnerability means you're going to take the risk to be judged or pushed against to be in the moment and say, you know what, <laughs> might all good, but there's just these times where I just feel like I still want to go and get drunk. Vulnerability is, imp- is powerful. And I think it's powerful because actually marriage is built on vulnerability, being vulnerable with your spouse. Bob's, you were going to? Yeah, um, final thoughts, I guess for me, it would be uh, being intentional, being intentional good father and be an intentional good husband. Um, what I mean by that is that if you want to be successful in business, you want to be successful in sport, you need to work hard. You need to put things in place to make sure you get to the ultimate, to re- get the ultimate success. Same thing, you need to work just as hard to be a good father. You need to be just to work just as hard to be a good husband. Um, so don't, f- don't be thinking when you get home from work, oh, yeah, my day's over and you can just relax and, 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 and let life pass you by and just almost just watch your children grow up and be a bystander. Um, be a participant. Be, be intentional. Um, make sure you, you create moments that you in, can impart into your children's lives, into your family's lives, into your wife's lives. Um, yeah, just uh, work, on your, work on your marriage. Make sure your wife knows how much you love her how much you love her and um, make sure it doesn't come second. Great. Pastor Rob? Uh, for me, it's... Um, uh, one, I'll, I'll share a little story. One time I was looking at, you know, it was like after a day like this, Father's Day, when the kids would write stuff about what I like most about my dad. So I, I, my, my daughter Tanya wrote something that caught my eye. It's only a year ago. She said, I like the fact that my dad teases me. You know, it was, it, it appeared to be nothing, but I stopped to think and I say, it's those little things that we think they are not important, but to the kids, they are very important. It's memories that you create with them. Uh, more, I, I tell my friends that your children will never remember the car that you were driving. All they will remember is the time that you spend with them, the, the memories that you spend with them, the places you went with them. Even if you don't have much money, take a walk in the park. Do, do little things. Create those memories that they can tell their children about. Final thoughts, Chris? You know, we, we've talked a bit about being fathers, but I, I, I love when Pastor Rob mentioned how Renee's his best friend. And, and I think... At the end of the day, as husbands, healthy marriages are built on friendship. Number one, my, my wife is my best friend. And uh, that's only built by building normal friendship stuff. That's the unpacking of life as you go, 
not holding back from each other. And uh, I've always had the thought that the best environment for my kids to feel loved is if they know that I love Rhiannon. And if they see that, if they know that, that it's the safest environment for them to be brought up with. And I may not, they may not know that they are the priority. Maybe my wife is my priority, but out of that comes a healthy family. For sure. I'm going to help some people tonight just as we close around that whole thought of marriage and actually being able to describe your marriage. I was challenged some time ago when someone said to me, please describe your marriage to me. And I went on my discourse and I described it all and I finished and they bounced back and said, hmm, you've told me about your family, your business, your ministry. You haven't really described your marriage to me. I want you to go away and just think about things that would describe your marriage. I came away with the three thoughts of marriage being these three things. Intimacy. It's not just a physical thing. It's an emotional thing. It's the ability to see into each other. I want my wife to be the most intimate person in my life. It's definitely vulnerability. I can remember feeling really that I'd lost my manhood because one morning when things were overwhelming, I began to cry and break down and there I was in my wife's arms and she was cuddling me like a child. And I was just like, (laughs) I wanted to vomit thinking about myself. Come on, let's be honest, guys. No guy really wants to find themselves in that place. But years down the track, doing the whole journey, I've got to be able to be vulnerable with my wife. So it's intimacy, it's vulnerability, and it sure is shared experiences, which flows out of the whole friendship. But I've failed at it. I'm not good at it. I'm continually working at it. And I think we need to understand that, that no one gets this perfect, no one gets it right. There is no perfect dad sitting on the couch here tonight. Um, Bobby might, no, probably not. (laughs) But the great thing is we're committed to keep doing life well, overcoming those challenges and living in such a way that we're going to bring honour to God. Would you thank the guys for being on the couch with me tonight? Thank you so much, guys. the end of the podcast. For more information about C3 Rockingham, please visit www.c3r.org.au or call us on 9524 5055.